the Unknown Packers podcast. I'm your host, Bryce Christensen, and today we're focusing on dead zone tight ends on tap. I have our Unknown Packers reporter, Josh Ryder, in the building per se, and this is what we're going to be focused on, just tight ends. We have done a wide receiver dead zone, and now I figure we're going just to kind of continue the trend, and we're going to focus on tight ends. We also did a dead zone running backs on tap episode as well. Check those out if you have yet at Unknown Packers on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. But let's bring it on. We've got Josh Ryder in the building talking about tight ends. How are you doing, Josh? I'm great. Thanks for having me on again, Bryce. Absolutely. You're kicking ass and taking names. So I figure let's uh, strike while the iron is hot. First and foremost, for pretty much everyone, this is a whole new offensive system, a whole new scheme that the Packers are bringing in with head coach Matt LaFleur with offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett. Give me your take. What What's going to be different right off the bat for Packer fans once we start training camp going into the preseason and regular season? What's going to be different with Matt LaFleur that we've been accustomed to in years past with head coach or prior head coach Mike McCarthy? Yeah, so there's been several reports that say that the offense will be more of a double call system. So that's kind of what the Los Angeles Rams have been doing with Sean McVay and uh, Jared Goff. So LeFleur will call in two plays at a time. And then when they get up to the line, Rodgers will make the final decision on that play call. So that's something that'll be a little bit different. Um, it'll take a lot of cooperations between LeFleur and Rodgers to make it work. Uh, but like... Like I said, Rodgers does have the freedom to adjust, and he has freedom to adjust even further than than those two play calls too. So that'll be something that'll be interesting to watch too when when preseason and the regular season gets here. Can you elaborate a little bit more on Aaron Rodgers and those adjustments? Yeah, so I mean, it's going to be fun to see him in a new offense. I think him and Matt Lafleur will get along great. So you know, there'll be those two that double call system where Lafleur will give Rodgers those two play calls, and then. When they get up to the line, Rodgers will uh, adjust to whatever he needs to based on what the defense is aligned in. So whether it be a nickel defense or something else, Rodgers has that freedom to adjust whatever play call he thinks will work best in that situation. And how does that differ in years past with Lafleur in this double call system compared to Mike McCarthy? Yeah, so Mike McCarthy really never did the double call system. He would just give Rodgers a play, and then I guess if Rodgers thought that it wouldn't work, then he would have that freedom to make an adjustment at the line. But this new double call system, it, it kind of helps both all ends of things. It helps the floor getting to know the playbook a little bit better as well. And it helps, helps Rogers just get to get a feel for the new offense under the floor. So is the reason that the double call system is imp- implemented is because we need to give Matt LaFleur a grace period then with the playbook? You know, it, it might be, um, you know, he is a first year head coach, so they, t- they do have a lot of learning to do. Um, I'm sure Mike McCarthy would say the same thing when he first came in and was a head coach for us. He would have said the same thing that something like this might have helped him even even a little bit more. So it could it could help all ends of things, really. So then say, for example, we fast forward maybe two, three years. Packers have had success. Aaron Rodgers is approaching the second half of his last maybe last contract with the Green Bay Packers. And you also have Matt LaFleur with maybe two, three years underneath his belt as, as a coach. Do you see that double call then continuing or will it just be 
one of these first year sort of getting to acclimate a little bit more as an, as an NFL head coach? You know, as they say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So if it, if it works this year, then you might as well stay, stick with it because why change something when it's working for you? I mean, if it's, if it's going good, if all, all things are clear, then you might as well stick with it and write it as long as you can until if inevitably something does happen, then you, then you change it up. But if, if it's all good, all, all good in the hood, as they say, I think that it would be, it'd be smart to stick with that double call system. Now, this thought just crept into my mind. I remember with Jared Goff and Sean McVay, I believe it was actually McVay's first year as head coach of the Rams when this came up and where he was pretty much predicting uh, the play calls before they were actually happening. So he was pretty much talking to Jared Goff as a play was had already happened, already occurred, and they were getting up to the line of scrimmage. Is that something that you see a little bit more where LaFleur will be in Rodgers' ear quite a bit at the start, and then there, there'll be this almost grace period, this trust process that'll unfold? Or do you just feel, maybe I'm just comparing McVeigh and LaFleur because LaFleur comes from that tree, but do you see something like that where LaFleur and Rodgers are more of a duo than Rodgers being that quote-unquote do-it-all sort of thing? You know, I think that it'll be a little bit more of Rodgers being on his own. Um, the reason that Sean McVay has been doing that for Goff is because Goff's a young quarterback and he's trying to get him accustomed to what defenses do in the NFL. But unlike Goff, Rodgers is a veteran in this league and he, he's he's been around, he's seen all kinds of defenses. So I think that that... Lafleur will give him those couple calls, and then he'll just set Rodgers free. Let him do what he needs to do at the line. Has have a lot of trust in Rodgers, and I think that's probably what would be best for both head coach and for Rodgers. Yeah, I agree. That thought just crept in my mind, and how McVay approached, and obviously, you know, him being a rookie coach at that time and having a young quarterback in Golf. I believe it was his second year at that time. But I just wondered if if that system does carry over. I appreciate you. Um, dotting that I and crossing that T for me. Moving into our tight end re- receiving core, if you will, our tight end core. Jimmy Graham last year had 636 yards, the most for any Packers tight end in the last six years. But by his account and actually even Rodgers, it was underwhelming. Now, 636 yards is nothing to scoff at, especially for a Packers tight end. We haven't had the luxury since Jermichael Finley in 2011, where he had 767 yards, but we haven't had a tight end go over 800 yards in 35 years. Last one was Paul Kaufman in 1983. Jermichael Finley knocked on the door a few times during his, albeit brief, tenure with the Green Bay Packers, but Jermichael Finley comes to mind as the most explosive tight end that that we've had next to probably Mark Chimura back in like the 90s and then Bubba Franks in the early 2000s. History has shown that Jimmy Graham in his year one to year jump or year two jump with the Saints and the Seahawks have been exponential. Now, do you foresee Jimmy Graham coming in and exceeding 636 yards? Personally, I do. Uh, The reason that I think that people are saying Jimmy Graham had a bad year is because of his touchdown numbers. He only had two touchdowns last year. And being a big body, a big guy down the middle of the field, you would expect him to be more of a red zone target. But 55 catches, 636 yards, nearly 12 yards a catch, That's those numbers are not bad at all. 
It's just that the touchdowns were down for him. So that's why a lot of people said that he had a down year. With this new Matt LaFleur offense, I could see Jimmy Graham surpassing that 636-yard mark. I think that he will have a few more. Um, but yeah, like like I said, the people out there that say that Jimmy Graham had a bad year, it's only because of those touchdown numbers. I agree. The one thing that sticks out for me for Jimmy Graham is, yes, the touchdown numbers. Two, it just seemed that maybe he lacked that alpha mentality, that killer instinct when it came to quote, 50-50 balls. Rodgers never really throws those, but contested catches. It just seemed that he he lacked that oomph. And when I talked about, you know, history being on Jimmy Graham's side when it comes to his encore, so to speak, his production spiked during his second year with the New Orleans Saints. Graham went from having 31 catches for 356 yards and five touchdowns as a rookie in 2010 to 99 catches for a little over 1,300 yards and 11 touchdowns during an all-pro campaign in 2011. In 2016, his second season with the Seattle Seahawks, Graham's numbers jumped from 48 catches of 605 yards and two touchdowns, very similar to what he had in Green Bay, to 65 receptions for 923 yards and six touchdowns. His 14.2 yards per catch that year marked the highest average of his career. So I think we're going to see a better Jimmy Graham. The thing, maybe the scarlet letter, if you will, is those contested catches. I want to see a little bit more of a start to finish approach with Jimmy Graham. That's the thing that really concerned me is that when he had to battle for those things, I felt like that, that sort of oomph fell by the wayside. Do you agree? Yeah, but I also want to be fair to Jimmy Graham. Um, he did have, I, th- I believe it was a broken thumb last year. So, I mean, I'm, I've am i never been a, a tight end or an, a wide receiver, but, I mean, catching balls, especially from one of the best best pass p- passers in the NFL and Aaron Rodgers, he, he put some zinc to those balls. So, I mean, it's pro- it was probably kind of holding him back that thumb. But, I mean, I agree. Uh, this year, if he stays healthy, if, if his hands are, are healthy – I think that he is going to be that more explosive, more ready to go across the middle, across the seam type of tight end that we have been longing for. I'm glad you mentioned uh, the broken thumb. I forgot about that. Uh, So I will take my comments a little bit more lightly when it comes to his contested catches ability. I'm excited to see what he can do. I, I like the attitude. I like the, the ability to analyze reflect and improve it seems like him and Rodgers are on the same page we're going to highlight a little bit of what Matt LaFleur and Jimmy Graham can create based on Matt LaFleur's history but first we go into that Mercedes Lewis had a a very down year he to to put it bluntly however he gets to reunite with offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett tell me how does this relationship uh, bode for both Mercedes Lewis and Nathaniel Hackett under Coach Lafleur's scheme, yeah, I mean, I think that Mercedes Lewis is in a great situation now. Uh, as you mentioned last year, he only had three catches for thirty-nine yards. Um, as he's getting older, he's not really a pass-catching tight end. He's he's probably the top block, run-blocking tight end in the NFL, though. And as you stated, he has experience with Nathaniel Hackett, and he's had success with Hackett. So I see I see Mercedes as a leader in the tight end room this year. And I see him as a guy that can show the younger guys like Jay Sternberger and Robert Tanya in the right way about going about things to be a professional. 
So not only being a leader then in the locker room and being a role model as a, as an NFL veteran uh, with years of experience, um, he was great with uh, Nathaniel Hackett over with the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's why I thought it was a very under the radar signing last year when we brought him in um, and all across the board, not even just pass catching ability, but we brought him in to be a blocker. And, you know, last year, we can write that whole year as just being um, an abysmal mess to just everything that happened. I think that we're going to see a different team. Uh, I think you're going to see what Brian Gutekunst had, had him, had him plan going into his first year as general manager. Now he has his coach he has a second year defensive coordinator and Mike Patton, who was, has coaching experience now you bring in a guy like Nathaniel Hackett, who has familiarity with Mercedes Lewis and this tight end group. Realistically, outside of being a leader in the locker room and being, being a role model, what do you see his production being? What do you see his role on the field? Yeah, so obviously it's clear that the Packers aren't comfortable with where their tight end position is at, which is why they bring back Lewis and they draft Jay Sternberger and they sign a guy like Pharaoh McKeever. But I still think that Mercedes is he's just going to be more of a run blocking guy. He's not going to he's not going to be a uh, more of a pass catcher like he has been in previous times with Nathaniel Hackett and with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, I could see him maybe maybe 100 yards. I mean, that might still be pushing it. He might grab a touchdown, but I still see him as that more of a run blocking tight end. Moving on to is it how many do you think how many tight ends do you think the Packers keep? You got Jimmy Graham, who's a lock. You got Mercedes Lewis, who's a lock, and Jay Sternberger. They keep three or they keep four. Is there a sleeper out there? I know I'm a big fan of Big Bob Tanya and the Sycamore, but do they keep four tight ends going into the regular season? I do. I see them keeping four tight ends, and I see them keeping that Big Bob. I love I love me some Robert Tanyan. Um He's a very good athlete, and he has really good size at six foot five. Uh, he played his college ball, like you said, at Indiana State. He's a sycamore, so he had that big touchdown against Seattle last year—that fifty-four yard touchdown catch from Rodgers. And that's something that he can do. He can stretch the field, and I see him this year. He, he's probably going to be more of a special teams contributor, but he may also see time within the offense of that Matt Lafleur is bringing in. So uh, Alan Lazard, then, would he be kept as a wide receiver, not a tight end? Yeah, I, I see Alan Lazard being kept as a wide receiver. Um, like we talked about in our wide receivers podcast, I, I think that he has a better shot to make the 53-man roster as a wide receiver than Trevor Davis does. I mean, he is he's physically gifted at six foot five, about 230 pounds, and he has elite hops, which could help him with those 50-50 contested balls. And I see, I see him making this 53. I could, if he can impress in training camp and go out there and perform like Jake Kumro did last year in the preseason, I can see him making this fi- final 53. Yeah, Alan Lazard is definitely one of those, you know, diaper dandies uh, for me. Uh, PT Peer, as our, um, as as the college basketball fans would say, and uh, Dickie V. And um, anyway, I digress. Moving on to. Rookie Jace Sternberger, he was a guy that we highlighted in our UPP draft guy. He was a guy that I thought fell into that sweet spot of when the Packers would be looking at a tight end. I'll admit I was I was high on the Packers drafting a wide receiver, but based on OTAs and everything leading up to training camp, it does seem that Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur 
think highly of this wide receiver core. You've got Devontae Adams, you've got Geronimo Allison, MBS, Equinemius St. Brown. And then we'll see with Jay Kumaro, Trevor Davis, Alan Zard. But Jay Sternberger, a guy that the Packers draft in the third round, a guy that was first in yards per catch in the SEC, um, or first, I'm sorry, first in Division I college football with yards per catch at 17.3 yards. He was first in the SEC with conversions, meaning touchdowns and first downs. He had 37. The reason why I mention this in the SEC is that Irv Smith Jr. had 27 in second overall in the SEC. He was drafted in the second round by the Minnesota Vikings. He was a guy that the Packers were projected to take possibly in that last uh, late first round, early second round. But the Packers nabbed Sternberger, who obviously needs a little bit more development. Uh, rookie tight ends, it, it, have, it hasn't been kind when it comes to production. So we're looking more for that year one to year two jump with Sternberger. But give, your, give me your take. He's obviously a guy that um, is a big-time player. Uh, reminds me a little bit of Kelsey in the, in the fact that once he catches the ball, he does not give defenders any sort of free pass. And he's already thinking six once the ball is in his hands. Evident enough with his touchdown to first down conversion catches with 37. What do you see Jay Sternberger's role moving into? He's a lot to make the team, obviously, with this third round um, draft status. What do you see Jay Sternberger realistically doing? Obviously, this will be Jimmy Graham's team when it comes to the tight end. But do you see Sternberger sneaking up there, maybe maybe surprising some people, maybe getting eight, nine, possibly ten touchdowns as a rookie? I mean, I wouldn't go quite that far, but like 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 you say, Jay Sternberger at Texas A&M was a stud. I mean, he only had 48 catches last year, but he had 832 yards, which equates to 17.3 yards per catch, like you said. And he had 10 touchdowns. So as a third-round selection... He's he he was picked there for a reason. He's picked to play. So I think that he is also in the best situation. Um, he can learn the ropes from Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis. He's another pretty big body, six foot four, and he's a big red zone target. So I expect Jace to learn the ropes from those veteran tight ends and contribute in this Matt, new Matt Lafleur offense. That's for sure. I agree, and I know that we're supposed to tread lightly when it comes to rookie tight ends, but. I- Every time I flip on some tape of Jace, I, I get more and more excited. Um, his catch radius, his ability to essentially take it to the house, he's a lock in the red zone. I, I foresee him and Rodgers really developing um, a very, uh, I would say, quick relationship, a quick rapport right off the bat. And so, obviously, t- double-digit touchdowns is a little far-fetched. And my green and gold blinders have probably influenced that prognostication, that prediction. But I would not see, be surprised to see Jace um, create some waves, make some big plays, and develop um, quick trust with Rodgers, where last year it took a while for MVS and Equinemius St. Brown. I mean, albeit they were fifth and sixth round picks, but their they're projected and their their playing ability probably more reflects around that second to third round if we went back and redrafted that. But I look at Jay Sternberger as contributing quite right off the bat. He's going to learn from Jimmy Graham. Now, Jimmy Graham, say he goes out and he ex- exceeds 636 yards. Um, is he back next year or is it the Jay Sternberg show, St- Jay Sternberger show in, in uh, 2020? Yeah, I, I see Jimmy Graham still coming back. Um, 
but I, I mean, it's going to be that kind of passing the torch to Jay Sternberger. We drafted him for a reason. And I mean, he played in the SEC, which is probably the best conference in college football. And he absolutely dominated there. So there's a reason we went on, went out and got him and it's to contribute. So I, I see Jimmy Graham still being on the roster as of next year, but he is going to be, like I said, he's going to be passing that torch to this young, young buck and Jay Sternberger. And I mean, keep in mind, I mean, we forget that Jimmy Graham, I mean, you haven't forgotten, but I, I, for our listeners, I want to make sure that the, last year, you know, he had six passes or six catches for 95 yards against Minnesota in week two. And then he had five receptions for over 104 yards in that 33 to 30 win over San Francisco. So he did have some big games. And then overall, if you look at his stats, they're quite rewarding when it comes to a Packers tight end. Now, as we wrap up dead zone tight ends on tap, when we look at Matt LaFleur and he talks about how much he loves multiple personnel groupings, he talks about Jay Sternberger being maybe more of a slot guy. Um, so he could put up, he'd, he'd look more like a wide receiver. That's why I keep on mentioning the Travis Kelsey comparison and how they use him in Kansas City. I see the Packers utilizing Sternberger in the same way moving forward. Last year, Matt LaFleur had a three-time Pro Bowler Delaney Walker. Unfortunately, he had a significant leg injury in the Titans opener. However, LaFleur didn't abandon the position after the loss of Walker. Instead, he turned to this quartet, Janu Smith, Anthony Ferkser, Luke Stocker, and McCole Pruitt, who combined for 63 catches, 750 yards, and seven touchdowns. They had a steady diet of big play wide receivers, versatile running backs, and multiple tight end parries, which makes up LaFleur's core philosophy. He wants to throw a barrage of attacks at a defense, regardless of whether it's a 22 personnel with two running backs and two tight ends or a 12 personnel group of one running back and two tight end groups. And so going to this multiple personnel groupings, as we wrap up, what do you see? So we started with Matt LaFleur, and now we're ending with Matt LaFleur. Give our listeners, our fans, and supporters the Matt LaFleur approach, this philosophy. If you tell that quartet, that sexy quartet of Smith, Berkser, Stocker, and Pruitt, now we have Graham, Sternberger, Lewis, and Tanyan. Give me your overall vision as we wrap up Dead Zone, tight end on tap. Yeah, so... I mean, Matt LaFleur, contrary to what Mike McCarthy used to use as his slot receiver, which was like a Randall Cobb type, Matt LaFleur kind of likes to have that bigger body. So don't be surprised if Jay Sternberger does go out into the slot this year, or even like a Geronimo Allison or a Marquez Valdez-Scantling. He likes those bigger guys in the slot, which, which is a change of pace from what Mike McCarthy used to do. So I, I think that Jay Sternberger is going to have a pretty dang good year for the Green Bay Packers this year. There's a reason we drafted him in the third round. I see him coming in and making a big contribution in his first year as a Green Bay Packer. So when we look at the, those that 22 personnel group, so that you're probably thinking Aaron Jones, Dexter Williams, Sternberger, and Graham? Exactly. Those those would be the ones that I would, I would key on. Um, I think that, obviously, Aaron Jones is the – far and away number one back and as as we sh- as I showed in our our UP running back podcast I got a lot of love for my man Dexter so I think he's going to be that that other running back and then Jimmy Graham will be that one and Jay Sternberg is going to be that number two tight end in in the Matt LaFleur offense this year and then you have Devonta Adam 
Adams, Geronimo Allison, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, Equinemius St. Brown, your boy Alan Lazard. This is shaping up to be a very, very potent offense for the Green Bay Packers. Josh, thank you so much for reporting out for the Unknown Packers. You can follow Josh Ryder at joshryder328. That's R-E-U-T-E-R. Any last words for our Packer fans? Well, we're only we're less than a month away from training camp, so it's it's almost time for dead zone to be over and time to get into this football thing that we all love. Yeah, we'll have a couple more position groups as we lead into training camp, and then the Unknown Packers podcast goes daily. So not only does Packaday podcast do daily uh, episodes, we will also be providing up to date daily episodes focusing on training camp, and that'll continue going on to the regular season and postseason, and hopefully for your Super Bowl champion, Green Bay Packers. I am Bryce Christensen. And I am Josh Ryder. And this is the Unknown Packers Podcast. Podcast.